do believe that our body is always on our side, you know, right until the very last breath that we take or the very last heartbeat that we take that that happens. Um, our body is always trying to stay alive in what some people who who've maybe studied biology at any some level have heard of this concept of homeostasis. And <clears throat> it says that, you know, our body creates a re an array of reactions in order to try and maintain balance of some sort. Our modern day society um, can push our body's uh, processes of homeostasis, it can push them to the limits and create or provide us with confusing signals which uh, make it hard for the body to, uh, to return, return to health, full health. So we just have to be wise to that and to be, in a way, control our environment, control our choices so that we don't knacker out the, uh, these regulatory systems that do return us to health. In our society, we've, we've set the, the upper and lower limits um, and the signals that are coming into our body at, at different points than they were maybe a hundred or so years ago and this puts a strain on the system and it comes at a cost. What's happening guys? My name is Tom and I'm coming back at you with a brand new episode of Second Mind the show that empowers you to be your greatest self and create a better world. For today's show, I'm in conversation with Dr. Ian Tennant, a man who is a specialist in helping people make inexpensive and simple choices that improve their health. Ian works with knowledge that's really on the frontiers of medical research and helps clients feel more energised and understand why the habits of healthy people actually work. He got his doctorate from the University of Edinburgh in clinical and surgical sciences, but he is also trained as a sports and remedial massage therapist and a holistic lifestyle coach. In his early career, Ian worked as a researcher for the Medical Research Council Centre for Inflammation Research, but now he spends most of his time helping clients face-to-face -face with health issues, including professional athletes and high-level entrepreneurs. Ian has also risen to conquer a lot of his own personal health challenges, putting chronic digestion and sinus issues into long-term remission and learning how to manage his diagnosed heart condition while still maintaining high levels of physical activity. We cover a lot of ground in the discussions today with our chat based around Ian's book called Restoring Balance. He presents a fantastic simple framework that we could all use when assessing and working to improve our health. The framework contains six polarities with the idea that we must work to find a state of balance that is right for us and feels good inside each of these polarities. We unpack all of the polarities, which are light and dark, feasting and fasting, connection and independence, movement and stillness, technology and nature, and excitement and calmness. Ian gives a really handy breakdown of why each of these polarities matter, how they work and what you can do to restore your own sense of balance. You know, trying to live a healthy lifestyle can seem so complicated as we're bombarded by so much information nowadays about this new diet and that new amazing health hack. But I feel Ian's model takes a refreshingly simple, big picture approach that can make a huge impact to your life. So whatever direction you're traveling, if you look through your health with 
Ian's pretty simple six polarities model, you'll be giving yourself a solid platform to grow and prosper. You know, I, I really had a great time chatting with Ian and I hope the discussions that we recorded offer a lot to you too. Peace. Let's do this. Ian, welcome to the Second Mind podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. How are you doing? Morning, Tom. It's great to great to see you. Um, yeah, I'm doing really well, actually. I've been down to the allotment first thing this morning and got some sunshine. We've had a real heat wave here in Peterborough. Uh, I don't know what it's like with you in Devon. But um, I do remember when I lived in Devon and I, you know, spent some time with your your, your mum and all of the, the colleagues around there that the weather always seemed to be nice, but sometimes a little bit more damp than what we get in the east of England. Yeah, the, the weather can be a bit weird and changeable down in Devon. We have our own little microclimate, but that, that's the way we like it, I guess. We had a lovely sunny day yesterday. It's good to hear that you're outside getting that sunshine in in the early morning. Uh, it does make a really big difference to the day. It does, and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk a little bit about body clocks and how we set our body clocks uh, during this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, before we get into into that, um, I did want to introduce that you have your book that you've written called Restoring Balance. Um, and over the last few days, I have been uh, having a look through the book um, in anticipation of this conversation. I've been really enjoying uh, the the book and your writing style because it has uh, a way of not only giving great health advice that's scientifically backed, um, but it's also got a thread running through it of your own personal journey with with health challenges. And I think that's fantastic because it makes it extremely relatable. And I just wanted to start off the conversation by giving you some space to talk about how your health challenges um, have influenced what you're up to in your career today. Mm, thank you. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I realized I was interested in health in my teenage years. I felt a little bit kind of um, like I was lagging behind with my energy levels. I knew that, or what I observed with my peers around me, sometimes they seemed a bit more sprightly and alive and um, quick in conversation. And I felt a little bit heavy, kind of bloated, my guts, I wasn't satisfied with my digestion and my um, sinus and breathing was often, I was, had conge congestion in my head as well. So, you know, but I thought I had this kind of deep sense or knowing that that it didn't have to be that way. And that there was, there must be a way that I can kind of solve these problems myself. Um, and then I would, you know, I'd hear little snippets of information. I remember one of them was reading in my uncle's uh, Reader's Digest magazine. It was about the, the runner's high. And, you know, as a, a teenager, we all want to kind of, we're curious about getting high one way or another, aren't we? <laughs> so, Exploring the world and its wonders, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I thought if there's a way that exercise can 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 get you high, then you know I want to try that. So this Reader's Digest magazine it, it kind of listed this uh, a man. This, this man told the story about how he 
uh, went from, it's kind of like the, the couch to 5K um, kind of story, how he gradually built up his ability to, to go outside and jog and run until he got to the point where he got, you know, um, uh, an endorphin rush from exercise. So I'd had a few years where as a, as a teenager, I kind of like lost interest in exercise. Um, and this was, this triggered me to start, start running again, always kind of did okay at running with at school with cross country, but I kind of got into this regular habit of going out two or three times a week and increasing the distance and the duration. And then I remember one summer's evening, I had my Sony Walkman on and I was running through the woods near to my house. And then all of a sudden, you know, I felt like I wasn't even, I felt like I was just like I was floating, like I wasn't even putting any effort into the strides to, to run. Um, and the, the evening, the twilight kind of color from the sky coming through the trees just seemed more hyper real and um, brighter than the normal. And I was like, wow, I've got, I've got the runner's high. This, is, this must be it. The music sounded even better than normal on, my, on, on the, uh, the, the Walkman. Hmm. so that was kind of for me uh, that was proof at that age that um you can do something to make yourself feel better and improve your health and well-being and it can be free and simple and easy um hmm. and you know i'd like to say now that i i don't think that all of our solutions to, to health and well-being are um are just about exercise and and it's easy it's possible to become addicted to to exercise especially card you know intense um aerobic exercise like running yeah absolutely i uh, i know myself i've used it when i was um had a kind of quite stressful time uh, career wise i've used i used running as a kind of uh, to medicate the the stress of of work and that's um it, there's a fine line between using something therapeutically and mm. uh, using it in, in, a, in a way that you become dependent on it. Yeah. Um, so, so it's not, you know, I'm not the message which I want to get across to, 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 to the, the viewers and listeners today is not about exercise being the, the cure for everything. Um, it's part of a whole host of things we can do for free. Um, and um simple things to do and sometimes it's about doing less than doing more so um so that was the beginning of my my health journey then i you know i i also um heard other little bits of information that seemed to jump off the shelf uh to me one of them was i remember i was sitting having my hair cut once and there was a radio the radio was on and a guy was talking about how he <clears throat> how he'd been diagnosed with cancer and he um, was due to go and have some some an operation and some treatment and what he did was um, he in preparation for that he radically changed his diet and you know started eating loads of fruit and vegetables fresh fresh fruit and vegetables which he hadn't done before um, and the whole story was kind of saying that you know he believed that this helped him during his recovery from cancer was changing his diet and when as a kid I was i didn't like vegetables at all. There was, you know, one or two vegetables I liked and I kind of um, avoided them all. So that little bit of information as well encouraged me to, to man up a little bit and eat some vegetables that I, <laughs> as a kid, I was a little, a little bit, you know, um, 
was got stuck in this idea that I didn't like certain vegetables. So, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, that, that, and it was like those similar things that I could, you know, that there is a way to improve your mental well-being, your uh, emotional resilience, um, improve relationships, and uh, uh, find a good work-life balance. All these things are possible, and mm. they should be sim- simple and free and easy as long as we've got the right information and the right guidance um, to do to do them. Yeah, it seems like through these small experiences that you you had, you were getting a sense that actually in these incremental stages, you were learning how to kind of like talk to your body and and influence your body through the way that you were living your life. And as you were saying, you know, exercise isn't a cure-all. It's just a tool that can be used. It's about about having a good relationship with it. And it's the same with, mm-hmm. with food. And it's, uh, it's interesting that you had all these small experiences that seem to contribute to this new perspective that you gained. Um, I, I picked up in something in the book, actually, uh, you, oh no, sorry, it wasn't in the book. It was in a talk that you did um, that I listened to. It was a mm-hmm. masculinity conference. Um, and you uh-huh. were saying that your body is always on your side. Maybe that's also featured in the book as well. Um, but I was wondering if, you know, you say this now, when you look back at your own health journey, do you feel like your body has always been on your on your side? Do you think the things it was telling you were leading you to a better place despite being quite difficult at the time? Yeah, I think that uh, I still do believe that our body is always on our side, you know, right until the very last breath that we take or the very last heartbeat that we take that, that happens. Um, our body is always trying to stay alive in, and, uh, um, in the book and, um, what some people who, who've maybe studied biology at any, some level have heard of this concept of homeostasis. So this was caught, this, this term was coined by, uh, a guy called Walter Cannon, and <clears throat> it says that you know our body creates a re- an array of reactions in order to try and maintain balance of some sort, and this is this this balance point is um, home. This process is called homeostasis, and it's the balance it's trying to create is um, ideal for life, basically. So we think of te- temperature regulation as an example of this. So we all know that if uh, if you feel unwell, <clears throat> one thing that, that medics will do, or you can do it yourself, is to measure your temperature. Has your temperature deviated from around 37 degrees C, which is what the core, our core body temperature should try and stay. So that's, that's an example of our body being on our side. It's always trying to keep mm. our temperature at about 37 degrees whether it, you know, whatever the external environment is, if it's cold outside or if it's hotter than that, if it's sort of warm, too warm, our body will create these reactions um, mm. to, to try and return to, 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 to balance this, this ideal conditions for life. So we know in extreme examples, we shiver if we're cold and we sweat when we're hot. Um, and, you know, so that's an example of the wisdom of our body. Mm. But sometimes it doesn't feel like our body's on our side. So when we get, when we feel unwell or tired or um, just feel groggy, then it feel, can feel like our body's letting us down. Or if we've got some, you know, long-term 
condition, then it can, it's easy to think that our body is against us. And indeed, when we're, you know, if you're sporty and active, I've, I, I do, one of the things I do is uh, hands-on therapy and massage. And I, I feel really lucky that um, I've, I've got access to these tools because lots of people who come to me, I feel are really upset because they feel like their body's just giving up on them because they've got this recurring injury. Mm. Um, but actually in that injury, in that pain and the inflammation that they're feeling, it's actually their body's drive or an attempt to repair itself. And it might not feel like that, it's, but it's just the conditions haven't got, aren't quite right for that repair process to go to completion. Um, so yeah, our body is always on it, on our sides. There's this process called homeostasis, which is always, whilst we're alive, we're always attempting to get back to that. The, the big thing that I, I believe in and that, you know, it's probably come across in the book is that our modern day society um, can push our bodies, uh, processes of homeostasis it can push them to the limits and create or provide us with confusing signals which uh, make it hard for the body to uh, to return return to health full health <clears throat> so we just have to be wise to that and to be in a way control our environment control our choices so that we don't knacker out the uh, these regulatory systems that do return us to health Mm. And that element of, you know, our body being on our side to give us that power of balance is incredibly important. And we do often underestimate <clears throat> how our constructed world impacts on those those forces that are working inside our body. Um, but as you discover with your own health journey, you can start to learn the mechanisms as to how you can influence balance from the actions that you take by controlling your environment and uh, using your behavior to be able to influence those um, cycles and bring yourself back to that center point of health, essentially. Um, mm. So the, the book itself is called Restoring Balance. Why do you think um, balance is uh, an important thing to strive for? Um, I think balance is important because it's... Um, you know, if we if we stay off balance for too long, then there's a risk that we'll will um, these regulatory systems. So it's a little bit like a um, I explained it. The the homeostasis is a little bit like a temperature regulation system. Mm. So in in your house or in uh, an office or a workplace, we have a thermostat, don't we? So this the, the thermostat keeps the room temperature around usually around about 20 degrees C and there's upper and lower limits to that. So if uh, the, the cooling system will kick in, <clears throat> if the room temperature goes too high, if it goes to maybe 23, 24, the, the, the fans will kick in. And then if the room temperature goes too low, if it drops to 17 or 18, then the, then the um, heating, the, the boilers and the heating mechanisms will kick in mm. and that brings us back to the right temperature and then the, the the heating or the cooling will switch off however if we you know if we um let's say you you know you invited some people into your house who just come in from the 
the you know a, a long it's the middle of winter you've invited some people into your house who've just come in from a long walk in the cold they've got all their coats on and they're, they're shivering they may be wet you might boost the temperature for a little while and um uh just to so that they can take their coats off get them dry warm themselves up but if you left that temperature high for all year round it would be really costly to your electricity bill it would put a strain on the the heating system hmm. it would waste fuel and that's kind of what we do with in our society we've we've set these the upper and lower limits um and the signals that are coming into our body at at different points than they were maybe a hundred or so years ago and this puts a strain on the system and it comes yeah. at a cost yeah and I think many, many people are sometimes not listening to the small reminders that they're getting on quite a regular basis, that the, the, the signs the body is showing that it is in a state of imbalance. And sometimes that unfortunately has to get to a place where then the body has to, is so out of balance that it's going to give them some really big symptoms and, you know, put, put the brakes on their life in a much bigger way. Um, I think it's maybe a, a symptom of the fact that we are not a very still society and we're not very uh, equipped in the modern day to slow down um, as, as much mm -hmm. as we should, to be able to actually generate that connection with our body. Mm -hmm. um, we often, are, I feel, treat our bodies kind of like machines, that we are just using them um, and we sort of have this we have this power over them to sort of tell them what to do and and just get the right output and then that's all i really care about but it seems like having a relationship and a partnership is a much better way of looking at it mm. um because we really do need to look after these these systems because maybe you know if you're not listening to those messages that your systems are telling you on a, a regular basis then these can build up into huge um you know chronic conditions way down the line and um, as humans we're just not great at looking at things in those time scales that's it yeah um it, exactly so you know the the point you just made about not listening to what your body is saying so i think you know tiredness and sleep is a prime example of this we um after we uh created artificial lighting so you know traditionally this has been incandescent light bulbs which allow us to to light our homes and workplaces after the sun goes down before that we might have had gaslight and candlelight and and so on but and and fire other types of fires but now we can have this kind of really bright kind of clinical um white or it's referred to as blue light uh 24 seven, we can go shopping in a supermarket, which is lit with this really bright LED lighting. And that kind of creates a wake up signal that together with, you know, using um, caffeinated drinks, coffee and other other drinks that have got caffeine in them. Um, to override a sense of tiredness means means that, you know, people are often not getting enough sleep. Um, they're overstimulated in many ways. And then they may feel tired and then get caught into this vicious loop of just, you know, taking more stimulants to overcome the feeling of tiredness. Mm. Maybe then, um, you know, they might get headaches and then start taking painkillers to numb that kind of pain. Just think this becomes normal. 
yeah. know, the, uh, during the, the first parts of the lockdown from the, during the coronavirus pandemic, uh, paracetamol and painkillers were um, after toilet roll <laughs> were one of the, <laughs> the things that people were, you know, were scrabbling around for because mm. so many people rely on numbing signals from their, from their, from their body. These, uh, signals that, were once quiet, but they've got up to the level of, they've gone past discomfort um, to a level of pain. And then, and now they need to, to numb that pain. Hmm. So, um, so yeah, you know, and in, in, you know, in the book, I, you know, there's a big section on <clears throat> making friends with tiredness. So if, if you feel tired, uh, obviously, there's there are conditions where where tight you know tiredness is very serious and i'm not saying ignore them um totally you know regard disregard them but um if we're if you're tired if you're tired just sleep you know have an early night have a catch up allow your body some deep rest <clears throat> rather than fighting against it mm. um the other the other sort of thing i encourage is for people to um practice uh, meditate meditative type practices where you're tuning into your body <clears throat> listening into what your heart's doing your breathing rate is doing your digestion all of these different um cues from your body about how well you feel and get to know the language of the body <clears throat> and indeed there's a there's a big field of science studying this right now called interoception which is trying to kind of um, understand the importance of signals and feelings from our body and how if people can sense them accurately and um, <clears throat> determine the right meaning from those signals and then choose an appropriate action how that can either uh, that that can be good for their health but if they um, don't have a good sensitivity to their, their bodily feelings and can't accurately <clears throat> sense them then it seems it appears like this is linked to lots of different <clears throat> excuse me lots of different uh health conditions and mental poor mental health and um even addictions as well yeah and having that really close relationship with the body is just it's so vital but we won't be able to hear mm -hmm. the messages or the smaller messages that are coming through unless we have that mm. That stillness, you know, to be able to hear, you have to have to listen. So I think that's something that we could all um, make more space for in our lives. But I think the perspective that you've um, given the readers in your in your book by using your model of the the six polarities is, I think, that's a great way for people to start to think about balance in their own lives. It's a great jumping off point because um, it it really uh summarizes so many of those um patterns that have been interrupted by our normal modern lives and i was wondering if we could um through the journey of this conversation go through some of those elements of the six that balance polarities and start mm. to talk about you know why individually they are important that we already touched on the light dark cycle maybe we could um uh jump jump back in there um, yeah, and to really describe why they're vital and, and why it's a useful perspective to look, look through. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, this, this 
point of, of balance um, or homeostasis. It's actually, just, just to say something first, that's been updated in recent years, the idea of homeostasis with something called allostasis, which says that um, the, you know, the, the, the balance point or the center point can, the upper and lower limits can be moved up and down. And, it's, and it includes our ability, because humans were really complex beings. And that's what, this, that's what the whole challenge with health is about these days, and that is that we can use past experience to um, change our behavior and we can, we can project forward with our mind and predict uh, situ uh, scenarios in the future which change the way we behave, we behave here and now. Mm. So, um, and, you know, just using the simple example of body temperature, again, I don't just shiver and sweat to regulate my body temperature. I also um, look at the, the weather forecast and decide what clothes I'm going to wear. I um, insulate my house. I close windows. I, I do other things to help support my body temperature other than just these these um biological reactions of shivering and sweating yeah and it's the same with um every other aspect of health so the six polarities which you you asked about light and darkness are one of them they're just like heat and cold they affect our health and we have to our body has to respond to them calmness and arousal is the second one so calmness is about that you know like you said that that stillness that feeling um settled and rested versus arousal which is you know you and i will have had to create a certain amount of alertness in order to to carry out this interview now so um and that's good but no one wants to be in a super alert or aroused state all the time otherwise we would we it, it would be too stressful for the body and we'd become fatigued mm. Um, feet, the third polarity is feasting and fasting. So um, food is definitely good for us, but it's also good to take a break. And um, maybe we'll get a chance to, to talk about that. The um, <clears throat> fourth polarity is movement and stillness. So we don't want to become too sluggish and couch potato-like, but we um, don't want to be running around like a crazy person all the time either. Um, connection and independence. So this is about the fact that we're social creatures. So um, at the moment during social isolation, some people have been struggling with this, uh, with the, the loss of touching other people or close eye contact. Um, we really do, we regulate each other through social interaction. Um, the other side of that is independence. And it's, it, you know, it's good to have both your time alone to reflect and to rediscover, re reconnect with ourselves. Um, so that's the that's the fifth polarity: connection and independence. And the final one is technology and nature, hmm. um, which is a more of a modern day polarity, which I, I put in at the end of the book. Um, if I'd written it, you know, twenty years ago, I might not have thought it was so important as it is today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're the six polarities, but light and dark. Should we? Should, did you say we should start there? Yeah, absolutely, because I think that is such a pivotal point. And you know, the light dark cycle is when when you look around in nature, nature entirely thrives with all of its uh, internal systems around that light dark cycle. So mm -hmm. to think that we're any different would be would be silly. You know, we are absolutely plugged into that. <clears throat> we are completely plugged into that, and uh, the more I 
carry on with this health journey, the more I realized how powerful light actually is for, for our health. And, you know, full, full spectrum natural light um, as opposed to uh, artificial light. So each one of us have, has got a, this kind of master body clock in, in, our, um, in our head. It's, you know, just between, uh, it sits um, in a place in our brain. It's a relatively small cluster of neurons compared to the billions of neurons in, in each one of our brains. Um, there's just about 20,000 neurons and that this master body clock is called the suprachiasmic nucleus and it um these 20,000 neurons they oscillate together to um set all the other the other clocks in our in our body so our digestion has a clock to it that's why people will feel often feel their stomach rumbling at the same time each day mm. they'll go to the toilet at similar times <clears throat> They'll feel more alert and want to, you know, to do exercise or to be active at different times of the day. So we've got these clocks, these rhythms or clocks throughout the whole of our body. But it's this master body clock, um, which kind of they're all calibrated to. Now, the, the, the most it's a two way street, which with with this body clock, how it's how it's calibrated and set. So some that's light levels of light is that is the most powerful um signal to to set the body clock so uh i we opened this talk with saying that uh, i've been out for, to the allotment early this morning so getting natural daylight on your skin and in your eyes uh, early morning is one of the best ways you can set set your body clock yeah and avoiding too much artificial light after sunset or um, in the winter, you know, late on in the evening is another good way to, to set your body clock in, in a positive way. Because if we have too much artificial light in the evening, then it's going to stimulate this suprachiasmic nucleus and that will inhibit the production of a hormone called melatonin, which um, you may have heard of. Lots of people have heard of melatonin. Um, and this is like a sleepiness hormone. So it makes us feel naturally inclined to, to want to drop asleep, to fall asleep in the evening. So if you've got too much artificial light at night and, you know, staring at flat screen devices is, uh, <laughs> is a, is a, you know, a, is a powerful way to get bright white or bright blue light into your eyes late at night, but it will affect the quality of your sleep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's odd because you know the the exact time when we probably need to be avoiding or definitely need to be avoiding that that blue light is the time when a lot of us are centered around our screens the most you know when people will sit down and watch tv uh, at night it will be um you know the most popular time for lots of shows um on like the bbc or whatever um it will be that like seven o'clock eight o'clock nine o'clock window and you know, a few times I've not really realised, uh, sorry, previously in my life, I've not really realised how bright the TV and laptop screens are. Actually, when I've like turned off the light in, say, my living room and left the TV on playing something, uh, I actually realise how much light it's putting out there because there's no other light source in the living room. You know, there's no light in the uh, in the ceiling. 
and you realize actually you're receiving it's maybe uh, it feels diluted because there's other light sources in the room but actually you're getting a really powerful mm. uh, light coming through there um and and the same um uh, when we are asleep as well sometimes people will uh, have lots of electrical devices in their room that have these like on lights or like displays that are still on at night mm-hmm. um and although these these are really small actually the, the the body is able to pick up such finely tuned light sources because as we were saying before it's such an important um uh, uh environmental factor to be aware of um you know even if our eyes are closed the skin is still able to pick up and detect light um yeah so I was wondering if you could you could talk about how the the skin in itself is 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 able to do mm. that. Mm. Yeah, you're you're quite right. The um, it's not just our eyes that detect light. Every part of our our body detects light, and I'm really glad you've mentioned that point. Um, so there's these you know these molecules called opsonins, and we have them in our we have certain types of them in our eyes, and they they help us see, um, but indeed they're in our skin as well and in our even in our um they've been you know we've got lots of blood vessels close to our you know around our wrist here yeah it's been shown that that uh light that these opsonins in the around the surface of blood vessels receive light and they they may be involved in how dilated or or um contracted blood vessels are so our body you know uh, our body responds to to light, even um, small amounts of light when we're asleep. So absolutely try and make your bedroom environment as dark as possible at night. And that includes, you know, even the this, this phone I've got here. As you said, it's got like the on light at the bottom, or, sorry, at the top that flashes at night. So if I have that in my room near my bed, then it will cast this kind of eerie, light up my wall this flashing light yeah. and you might think oh it's, it's very weak but actually it's gonna your body's gonna be uh receiving that and it'll be um affecting it on some level mm. so I, I encourage people to try and create make their bedroom as um <clears throat> dark as possible and that includes switching off electrical devices maybe even taking them out of the room um, some people might want to you know keep their mobile phone on airplane mode um for emergencies and that's that's if they need it in the night if they're unwell or whatever then that's fine just keep it you know put it cover a put a t-shirt over it and keep it a few meters away from your bed mm. that's much better than i know people who have their smartphones under their pillow and they don't even put them on airplane mode <laughs> um so so yeah that's one thing then you know use blackout curtains for the for the windows as well so there may be strong street lighting and that's you know it's not just about things in your home it's light coming from outside there was this uh fascinating study from the university of exeter uh, done in collaboration with uh, a university in barcelona and they studied um they looked at where new led street lighting had been installed around cities um, and neighborhoods and so this is the new led street lighting is this kind of bright white lights which you may have seen installed around your neighborhood mm. um, it's very different than the old kind of sunset orange colored street lights that that 
we used to have. And what they found was there was a correlation between um, the installation of these uh, LED street lighting and an increase in breast cancer and prostate cancer. And you might think, well, that's, you know, that sounds unreal. But actually, when we think about it from what we just talked about, if you've got light, bright light coming through your window all throughout the night, then that's going to inhibit melatonin um, via this, you know, supercasic nucleus. Mm. Melatonin is a hormone which uh, instructs the cycles, which influences the cycles of other hormones in our body. Um, breast cancer and prostate cancer are influenced by hormones, you know, so it's well known that breast cancer is influenced, the, the chance of getting breast cancer is strongly influenced by estrogen levels. Melatonin and estrogen are linked. So, mm. you know, having this, this 24 seven switched on society where we've got light all the time, we've got noise and entertainment all the time, we've got, you know, caffeine to keep us alert. It's, it's messing around with our hormone levels and, when you mess around with your hormone levels, you're more likely to to die um, eventually. To, to put it bluntly, so <laughs> so if we can if we can have this awareness, have this knowledge, understand the mechanisms, then it becomes real, and from there we can make smart choices and, and you know control our environment a little bit and feel better at the end of the day. Feel better for for in cheap and easy ways. Mm, and there's there's so much we can do. You know, there are some things that. Are a little bit harder to change like those um like the street lights but like just getting out uh you know in the first hour of when you wake up getting out into the outdoor environment and just picking up that that sunlight with your eyes and with your skin um is such a fantastic way of setting a regular body clock a lot of people are struggling with um you know they're waking up at different times each day they can't really get their body clock in a in a set rhythm and mm. light at the beginning of the day uh, is a fantastic way to to start that um so what do you recommend then as a sort of a practical way that people can influence these cycles it's best to with the environmental lighting you have mimic the uh, light that's happening naturally from the sun essentially that's it yeah yeah, yeah. so um that's yeah there's two things isn't there there's getting the natural light when, whenever you can during the first thing in the morning and during the middle of the day yeah um so that's one one good thing and then with the artificial light yeah just trying to mimic what life was like before we had artificial light so mm. um dimming the lights in the evening um you know you might choose to uh it's a hard actually it's a bit gets quite a complicated topic when we come to cho choice of artificial light but you may choose just to, to use candlelight mm. um after maybe 9 30 10 o'clock if you're unless unless you actually need to have your your lights on just make your house a little bit more cozy um chilled out and uh or you you know there's there's uh salt lamps which give off a a, a more subtle glow yeah with the with your flat screen devices, there are plenty of uh, dimming apps you can choose now, which take away the white, bright white and blue light, and create a softer, 
uh, orange glow yeah. to the screen. So um, some new smartphones have come with these nighttime modes built in, but for old smartphones and for laptops, you can download an app such as F-Lux, that's F-L-U-X, and that will automatically, uh, depending on your location, dim your screen at the right time of day. So, um, so yeah, there's pl plenty of ways to, to do this. Yeah, and I've even seen now, for those people who maybe can't get those apps on their device or they are unable to change the screen brightness, there are blue blocking glasses as well um, that mm -hmm. are starting to help people. And something that I've really noticed is, I mean, I've got blue blocking glasses myself and they do really help, but Excellent. I also have those apps on my um, devices. Uh, but something that really makes a difference for me is, like you were saying, uh, adjusting the lighting as best you can. Now, you don't have to change all of your bulbs in, in your house or your bedroom. What I've done is just have, I have uh, just one lamp in my bedroom, um, which is fitted with a, a red bulb, a dimmer red bulb. And I'm sure, you know, for people who aren't really clued up on lighting, you can go and go to a, uh, a store and ask, you know, a salesperson about this and they'll be able to really help you get the right bulb. But there's, um, yeah, there, there are red and orange bulbs, which I find really help me. They kind of mimic that, um, that firelight or the candlelight that we have experienced for um, hundreds of thousands of years. And it, it really like starts to lull me down um, into a really mm. nice, um, mm. like getting prepared for sleep uh, mode of mind. That's it. Yeah. And it can take a while to kind of change that habit because we may be, we may have kind of conditioned ourselves to kind of rev ourselves up in the evening. It might be to, to do some extra emails for, for work or to, you know, to get through the next episodes of Netflix yeah. series that you're watching. You know, I must, I must watch an episode every night or your favorite program. So, so it's, we have to be patient and give it, give ourselves a little bit of time to, to, um, uh, allow ourselves to calm, calm down in the evening and prepare for bed. So, yeah. so, so yeah, the, what you said about just having one light that's, that's, uh, dim or, um, orangey red color is, is a perfect suggestion. You can still buy some, even though they're not as environmentally friendly, uh, from an energy consumption point of view, you can still buy incandescent lamp light bulbs. So the, the old, you know, the, uh, ones with a little curly bit of wire inside them. Yeah. You can still buy them on uh, eBay or Amazon if you just want that one one light in your house. Yeah. And the other the other point about them is that um, in winter, you know, the the argument that they are not environmentally friendly because they waste energy is is kind of true. But if you look at it another way, it's it's not so much true because um, the they're not so efficient in kicking out they use more energy to kick out the same number of lumens as light and that's because they give off heat as they you know that the extra energy goes away as heat but actually in winter when you want the lights on more you um you also want to heat your house more usually what well, we do we do in england anyway so actually it's contributing to the warmth of your house and if you've got a good thermostat then it will kick off you know that that heat isn't wasted it's actually gently heating the room. Mm. Uh, whereas if you've just got the bright white LED lights, which might not use as much energy to produce the light, they're not kicking out any heat. So um, so it depends how you look at it. 
I, I, you know, I think the, the old bulbs aren't necessarily as bad as we've made them out to be. That's my opinion. Yeah, fair play. I mean, like I managed to get hold of an orange red LED bulb and that fits me oh, yeah, perfectly. Yeah. So yeah, people out there, I'm sure you can um, spend some time looking on the internet or go to your local store. Mm. They'll be able to sort you out. Um, right, it'd be, be great to move on to the next um, polarity now because I mean, we could talk about light and dark for the whole <laughs> uh, episode and it's such a deep topic. But another extremely important one is that feasting and fasting cycle, which a lot of people mm-hmm. also have... Uh, out of out of rhythm or they're not really conscious that there is a, a critical rhythm there mm. Mm. yeah so <clears throat> we just spent a while explaining that um light is the big thing that kind of programs our body clock but actually uh food influences our body clock as well so um and our body clock influences when we get hungry so it's a, it's a two-way street mm. but you know um taking a break from food or fasting it's uh we all do it all the time anyway when when we're sleeping we're not eating when we're working most people aren't eating so we all fast for certain amounts of time um and but the the idea of fasting is often associated with a kind of suffering or deprivation or it's equated to the idea of starvation which is when people when it's forced on someone and people may end up dying at the end of it. Fasting is uh, is a voluntary act, and it can even be a pleasurable act. Um, it's a chance to learn about ourselves, um, and it doesn't have to be extreme either. It can just mean having breakfast a little bit <clears throat> later in the morning and stopping eating eating earlier in the evening. The it's easy for many people to get into a habit of you know, snacking late at night, let's say it's past eight or nine o'clock or even eating their meals past eight or nine o'clock, which in itself isn't that bad. But then if you've got to get up early for work the next day and you might have your breakfast before, let's say eight o'clock in the morning, then you've only taken a break. You've taken less than 12 hours break from food. And it appears that when you do that, that's a real uh, creates a real risk for your for your health mm. so at the very minimum we should fast for 12 12 hours a day um, and um, the science behind that you know that the science to back this up is is being um, carried out at you know there's new papers coming out every pretty much every week to to explore how fasting influences our health some people might think that when you when you stop eating your body kind of shuts down and everything stops but actually the reverse is true many processes activate when we when we when we stop eating so one of these is we switch from carb burning mode or sugar burning mode to fat burning mode and you may have heard of this idea of ketosis or ketogenesis or the the keto diet yeah and this really uh, the word ketone or ketosis or ketogenesis is um all it's referring to is the fact that your body is chopping up long molecules of fat into smaller chunks so that you can utilize it as fuel and it's a very normal and it's a very healthy healthy thing for the body to do that and when you fast there's there's two ways of doing it one one way is that you 
eat a low carb diet and then eat more <clears throat> carbs and pro sorry more fat and protein and that will switch your body into fat burning mode but the other way to do it is just to to, to take a, an extended pause from eating to fast and then your body will activate the fat burning mode and um, that's good for you it's good to be adaptable and flexible uh, metabolic it's this term metabolic flexibility which just means that your your body is able to adapt it's part of being resilient it doesn't have to constantly rely on a trickle of carb carbs and sugar um, in order to liberate energy it can liberate energy in more than one way so that's one benefit of fasting is that it makes you adaptable and able to burn fat. The other ben another big benefit is something called um, this process called autophagy, which is activated when we fast. So um, autophagy comes from the Greek uh, two two uh, Greek words autophagy. So auto meaning kind of self, and phagy meaning to eat because our white blood cells normally go around like Pac-Man and eat up bacteria and they, eat up, they clean up our dying cells. So this phagy, this process is called phagocytosis. So they eat, eat up debris and microbes. So that's normally a white blood cell coming along and eating up all this you know, garbage and things we don't want in our body. Autophagy is called self-eating and that's when our cells clean up debris inside cells from the inside out so it's not going along cleaning up um, and eating things outside of the cell it seals this debris up and these damaged cell components into a kind of stomach inside the cell and then it digests them from the inside mm. and it's part of a renewal process and what was discovered is that this process of self-eating or autophagy is activated when we fast um, so there we have another good reason to to take a break from food it allows our body to um, do a stock check and say okay you know I've, I've been busy processing all this food for so long i haven't had time to clean up my you know my factory what um, i'm having a little pause from eating now i'm looking around okay those those cell components are damaged they're not usable i'm gonna seal them all away and recycle them and the overall health of the cell improves it's a form of cell renewal so um so yeah that's you know fasting is uh it's been a practice in many cultures it is still a practice in many cultures um but it's easy in our modern day culture when we've got you know every food outlet offering delivery um, or most food outlets offering delivery these days. You can even get desserts delivered to your doorstep late at night, ice cream and so on. Um, it's so easy to get food all the time that we just, we, we can forget to stop eating and forget these natural processes to, to kick in. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, as I, as I speak now, I've done my daily fast up until this point. And I can definitely testify that, you know, it's, it's not the right thing for me to do every day, but it's something that I really have found um, has, has benefited me. Just, you know, obviously I'm not in tune with the, uh, on a cellular level, what's going on with, with, with my body and the cleaning the, uh, of the debris that's going on in my cells. Um, but actually just the way that I feel, 
and the way that it's helped me reset my relationship with food um because i think you know when we take ourselves out of the benefits that are happening on a deep level in our body actually the relationship we have with food in society you know there's a lot of emotional eating going on a lot of medicating with food um and i think it's good to be able to have uh place your own choice in your relationship with food and uh mm -hmm. be able to listen to the signals and if i get up and i'm not really that, that hungry and i've got a schedule that's allowing me um to you know nothing maybe massively strenuous in the morning i'll just do a fast until until midday um would you say then the the best protocol for people to to use is whatever is feeling best for them and and almost like listening to their hunger the the, the true hunger and not the i mm. want the food it's oh, my stomach is rumbling. I feel quite empty. I need to have some food now. Mm. Great question. Really good question. Um, because those, those signals can be a bit confusing to start off with. So we might think that stomach rumbling, we equate that with, right, I need to eat straight away. But actually, um, it might not mean that. It might just mean that your body is getting used to having a break from food and it's diverting you know, it's, it's diverting blood and resources to other areas of your body. Mm. Um, so what I, the, the model, the model with all these six polarities, I encourage people to, well, I call it the three, three C's approach. And I'll explain what that is in a minute. Um, but it's especially relevant to, to fasting. So the three C's are stand for curiosity, capacity, and confidence. And, um, if you've got these three attributes, uh, when it comes to exploring health, then you'll, you'll be fine. You, you know, pretty much you can, you can carry out your own, um, investigations and health journey. So curiosity is, is what brings your viewers and listeners here today. It's they they're, they're keen to find out more and, um, you kind of have to have that without, you know, it's the whole, the old phrase, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Um, if you're not curious about improving your own health and curious about wanting to explore something like fasting, there's no point trying it. You can't impose it on someone who, who doesn't, um, is not interested. But if you've got curiosity, curiosity alone isn't, isn't enough. We, um, we have to have some capacity and confidence. So the capacity comes in, in, in the form of information, maybe some science, good science, um, to understand okay, there's this thing called fasting. Um, is it, is it just a scam or a, you know, a fad or a, uh, or is there something to it? If we look at the information and form our, you know, form a, a an opinion based on some, um, useful, uh, facts and figures and research, then that's helpful. Next, we have to say, okay, I'm curious about this. I've got the information, but what do I do with it? there might be 101 protocols for fasting. There are so many methods for fasting. Mm. Um, which one do I choose? And that's the confidence part. So that's where, you know, we have to go for uh, an approach that um, guides us in a useful way. So the reason I just went through those three C's is because I do agree with you that we should be listening to our body and we um, should be playful and curious about something if we're trying something new like fasting for the first time yeah, however 
However, having said that, if you've never fasted before and you're used to eating, you know, uh, late at night and early in the morning and grazing all the time, then it, there may be a, a period of struggle or ad adaptation for a few days whilst you get used to it. Um, and that's why that's when it's useful to follow someone else's protocol. Um, so the, the 16, eight, uh, diet or the 16, eight protocol is quite a good one to start with for, for some people. Actually, if, if you're eating for less than, sorry, if you're eating for more than 12 hours a day, then I'd start with just saying, okay, just get to, um, eating for not eating till after eight in the in the evening and don't eat the next morning until after eight so get to 12 hours first yeah. and then then get used to that for a few days and then try something like the 16 8 which is where you um only eat for an eight hour window in any one day so that might be like you said you fast till midday and then finish all of your food and calorific drinks and beverages by eight in the evening yeah so there may be, it may feel a bit weird and uncomfortable and you might get a few hunger pangs for the first few days. But if you um, do your research and listen to people who, who have done fasting regularly and you realize it gets easier and easier every time you do it and the benefits you feel um, improve every time you do it. So like you said, you feel great. And one of the, the things that happens when our body switches to fat burning mode, the ketones which are produced are a very kind of clean burning source of fuel for the, for the brain. So people often report that they feel a great sense of mental clarity when they're fasting. Um, and they'll, there may be a period of adaptation when you feel a bit tired and grumpy, but that doesn't usually last for long. And it certainly doesn't increase and increase. It gets to a point where a kind of breakthrough point where the ketones kick in and you start to feel, feel really good. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a case of, listening to your body, but also um, not kind of thinking, oh, my body, you know, I'm craving a, a Krispy Kreme donut, so I must go and get it. You don't have to listen to everything that your body gets. Just listen to it in a way that you're trying to understand it and understanding what these signals might mean and without labeling them. Yeah, and I think it's so important that you mentioned the element of playfulness and experimentation. Um, with, with, I think, all of these polarities that we're talking about today, a lot of it is about finding what works for you because we're all biologically different in, in what the, the, the exact needs that we might have. Some people are more resilient to some things and some people are less so. Um, and yeah, the, the food thing and the feasting and fasting is really uh, down to a, a personal preference and seeing what works best um, for you. Uh, so that's a fantastic model that people can use. I think mm. the 12 hour is a fantastic way for people to start because it's not particularly onerous and people probably wouldn't be getting super hungry in that time. The the 16A is a, is a great progression on from there. And you can use those uh, those models as a starting point for experimentation. And really, you can just jump off from there. You know, people are do, can do 24 hour fasts, but you know, that's something that you shouldn't jump into straight away. It's definitely a better idea to try and get the, at least a regular 12 hour fast going. Um, and that will really help your body. Um, the, the next polarities is, is uh, calmness and arousal. 
and I was wondering if you could talk about that uh, that um, point of balance in our life and how we are maybe slightly off from that. Mm, yeah, thank you. So, um, so calmness, calmness and arousal. Um, this, you know, we've we've all felt times in our lives when we felt super alert and you know excited about something or stressed or um worried about something to the point where we you know we feel a little bit restless um and we've or we felt really joyful and excited and uh had a surge of energy and it's felt um uh you know we felt energized so what happens in in those situations is a certain part of our nervous system is activated or it's dialed up i should say because it's active all the time mm. and people might have heard of the the fight or flight response uh, versus the rest or rest rest and digest response so these are like two different teams or departments in our nervous system um, part of something called the autonomous autonomic nervous system which um, controls things in our body that we don't have to vo usually voluntarily think about. So yeah. the amount of blood that goes to our, our muscles that help us walk and, and run the, um, the amount of, uh, the, the speed at which our heart beats, the uh, amount of blood that goes to our digestive system. So they're, they're kind of, they're complementary but opposing, um, systems in our body. One is for keeping us alert and helping us do work and um, back in the day, run away from big threats uh, or defend big threats. <clears throat> the other side is for nourishment and growth and for sleep and for taking in food, digesting that food, assimilating it into new body parts uh, so that we can keep uh, renewing ourselves. Now, really what it's all about is about energy management and energy um, budgeting and diversion. So we, our body has evolved over billions of years to think, right, I don't actually need to do all of these functions at once. I don't need to go out and um, work in the fields or you know, fight a battle um, at the same time as eating a meal and digesting and sleeping. So it's kind of um, separated these activities out and it says I'm going to divert energy to each of them whenever I need them mm. now if we which is which is a uh, ingenious really because you know we, we, we might be able to multitask to a certain extent but we can't do everything all at once so it's created these two arms of our nervous system the it's sometimes they're referred to as the sympathetic and parasympathetic um, fight or flight rest and digest and they're dialed up and dialed down depending on this again the signals that come into our body lights um uh perception is a big one so um work stress for example makes a lot of people yeah. super alert and agitated deadlines um noise music hmm. so um and this is where we can get into the realm of perception as well so if we perceive something to be uh worthy of agitating us or alarming us or or a threat then that will dial up the sympathetic or the the, the rest the, the fight or flight side of our nervous system and it will suppress the parasympathetic the rest and digest 
which um so there's this constant kind of dialing up and dialing down of these different parts of our nervous system the calmness and arousal and for some people it will you know they'll be they'll spend more time in the calm state versus the aroused state and other people will spend more time in the aroused state than the calm state and neither is necessarily good or bad but uh, what we do know is if you're super, if you're chronically switched on all the time, then this, this affects, again, our hormonal systems. And we talked about the links between hormones and cancer, mm. but there's links between um, uh, this kind of stressed out alert state and other chronic diseases as well, heart disease. Um, it's led to believe, it's believed that, it's, uh, that, that it leads to uh, chronic fatigue conditions like fibromyalgia from being switched on uh, too too much for too long. So really the this polarity, calmness and arousal, is just to say, um, to, to do a bit of an assessment, am I hyper alert too much? Um, do I need to spend some time on myself um, doing some kind of meditative activities or just, you know, doing something I enjoy, doing a little bit more of a hobby or... Um, a bit of peace and quiet, listening to some relaxing music, mm. something to calm the nervous system down uh, and uh, restore balance in that area of the life. Yeah, I think that's uh, a fantastic practical bit of advice. You know, just look for creating space in your life where you can do those classic activities that let you slow down. Um, and they don't have to be, you know, med meditation is a fantastic way. It's personally helped me quite a lot. Um, even if, you know, the rest of the day I, I, I have is quite busy and it's got me in that state of like, hyperactivity or arousal, um, mm. the meditation at least will leave me a 20 minute period where my body can get into that mode. And I feel like I've been re reset in a way. Um, but also, you know, it can work with activities like like reading. Um, or, you know, some people really enjoy like, like making crafts. Um, like mm -hmm. I, I've experienced, I, I did a bit of like woodworking um, when I was at school. And I remember the process of woodworking, especially when working by hand, that really relaxed me. Um, and I yeah. like, again, with the, the feasting and fasting, I think every, different things will work best for everybody. Um, but would you recommend that a good starting point is just finding a still activity such as meditation to get going on yeah i think for, for a lot of people that's a good you know um it comes back to that confidence doesn't it choosing something which is tried and tested which other people uh, yeah. recommend having said that you know if you know if if a person knows that something like woodwork or um a hobby that they used to do but they've just kind of not found the time to do it recently because they've been so busy or so stressed if they know that that makes them feel better, then return to that and uh, try and schedule some time in for it. Mm. It doesn't have to be met the kind of mindfulness or meditation techniques that are uh, very popular at the moment. It can be, as you said, a hobby, um, but really it's about um, trying to do it deliberately and with awareness. So, uh, cause it, we could, you could end up doing, you know, a pastime or a hobby in a stressed state with your mind still worrying about whatever else is going on. Yeah. And it won't, won't be as 
um, effective on calming the nervous system if you do it with the intention, right, I'm going to do this activity now to, to for myself to to calm down and you maybe put some nice music on or whatever as, as you do the, the, the hobby. And it's, tra- it's like training yourself. It's like going to the gym to uh, train a muscle. You're training your calm muscle. Um, mm. And then ultimately, I believe, the goal is to be able to create that state um, outside of the, the chosen activity. So create that sense of calm, not just when you're doing your favorite hobby and not just when you're using, when you're meditating or using a, um, a meditation app. It's to be able to evoke it and summon it up in, in your body when at will and during potentially challenging situations. So when you, yeah. when you're, when you are busy at, at, when there is the deadline at work or when you're in a kind of potential conflict with friends, family, colleagues, whatever, it's to be able to say, okay, this has the this situation has got the potential to kind of send my stress levels through the roof but if i can evoke the state which i have learned to create through um a pleasurable activity or a meditation practice then 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 we become masters of our own physiology Mm. i think yeah a great starting point for people to be able to come into that mindful state whatever they're doing is just to be able to experience the or, or bring your attention to the bodily sensations which are happening um, in that in that moment. So if maybe mm. your thing is taking a, a walk around the park, you could really place your attention on the feeling each footstep takes on the ground and the sounds that you're hearing. Maybe there are birds in the trees, um, and thoughts just are naturally going to come along. Um, thoughts are just naturally generated but uh, if you get distracted by your thoughts it's really important just not not to beat yourself up and say oh I got distracted again it's it's in when you were saying that that training the calm muscle you have to realize that you know coming to this from a modern life standpoint the mind is sometimes uh, quite overactive and it needs quite a lot of time to be able to calm down and quite a lot of training so really don't beat yourselves up if you find yourself you know trying to do a calm activity and the mind keeps on uh distracting you all you have to do is just say okay i've realized i've been distracted come back to the activity can seem like a little bit of a game but actually it does mm. get um a lot easier over time and the mind does ease quite a lot you're spot on absolutely spot on and um i like that that point that reminder that not to beat yourself up if you if you're trying to do something like meditation and you think oh my mind just keeps sending these thoughts thoughts in and it's actually uh going back to our first point about our body always being on our sides you know the 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 monkey mind or this you know this constant stream of thought that seems to play play through all the time it's actually a, a useful thing as well although we too much of it is uh, is not helpful, but the wonder of being a human is that we can reflect on the past and predict in the future and all kinds of that. It's not just a feature of humans. Animals have got you know these these qualities as well. Um, but um, it's just about how you know recognizing it, not getting caught up in a thought that's not helpful, 
or is um, going to cause us unnecessary agitation um, and recognizing it as for what it is, as you said, is just just a thought. Yeah, that's fantastic. Really powerful stuff. And now it'd be great to transition on to the actual like physical movement um, and, and stillness uh, that can um, really have an impact as well. Uh, I was wondering if you could take us through that point of balance. Yeah, so, um, you know, we've, we've got these bodies that uh, allow us to do in incredible things. Um, and they've evolved and uh, we've ended up with the, the human body over billions of years for a reason. It's not just, it's not just um, you know, my arms and legs weren't just put onto me uh, for the sake of it they allow me to, to move. And the fact that I can reach my arm up and um, move my legs and knees and feet in a certain way um, is part of me. So, the, but the only thing is that modern day society, again, uh, often restricts or, or it, it can limit how, how much, how, fully we take our body through all its range of motions and possibilities possibilities of movement so um i talked about running earlier i'm a, i you know I, I like running uh i don't do as much as i used to but it's quite a linear um fixed way of moving so you know if i it's it's kind of like a train track type type motion compared to something like dancing or compared to something like um, gardening where I'm digging and bending or cleaning the house even. So, you know, even when we're exercising, we can be quite limited in how we, how we move. More, worse than that is sitting at a desk for eight hours a day with that and focusing on work for so long that we don't get up, we don't, we don't stretch, we don't wriggle our body around, we don't shake. Um, because all the fluid in our body gets a little bit stagnant, it can put a strain on, uh, you know, the sitting with our leg, our legs hunched up to our chest puts a strain on on our um, circulatory system, and it stops lymph from flowing around the body. Um, so, you know, staying still and stagnant is kind of for too long is one of the worst things we can do for our for our health. So, I encourage people to try and get a good variety of different movements uh, each week. So that includes some, you know, some aerobic exercise like running or cycling or swimming, some kind of more resistance training. So we've, we've got to kind of keep uh, pushing our body to the limits a little bit just so that it adapts and responds and we, we become more resilient, but then also some um, purposeful, movements you talked about kind of mindful walking a moment ago. So you're, 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 you're concentrating on the, um, the way the foot lands on the floor as we walk, the, uh, the sounds around us. There's lots of different purposeful uh, movement techniques. Tai Chi um, is one of them. Yoga is another. So to, to mix the different types of movement, I call it a kind of exercise spice mix because they say that uh, variety is the spice of life. And I think we can apply that principle to movement. So not just choosing one type of exercise 
and doing it all of the time. So create as much variety. That's, that's one principle when it comes to movement and stillness. The other we touched on earlier is that not to get too addicted to, to exercise. Some people use it as a coping mechanism for too much stress in their life because of the endorphin release and, and so on. Um, but if it gets to the point where you can only cope with the stresses of your, the, maybe the mental stresses in your life, if you um, can keep up a certain number of miles a week on your, you know, uh, bike or running um, or going to the gym, then then that's not, you know, it's not healthy, healthy either. And also too much being on the go and running around, rushing around too much will uh, activate the, that, that sympathetic part of the nervous system will be too arousing. Mm. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So when it comes to that polarity movement and stillness, that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's getting, you know, it's using our body every day in some way, mm. in a playful way. Um, but, um, uh, not going over the top with it. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, awesome that you mentioned like the, the variety being the spice of life and, you really need a varied diet of exercise because movement can, you know, there's just so much in there when you're talking about movement. There are those very like linear patterns of say, just like walking and running where you you uh, use the analogy of going along the train track, but there's, there's so much more like creative movement we could be doing. And it's about having a space for all of those in our life um, to be able to help our body um, maintain itself because if if our, our body is finding that we're not using certain systems um it's gonna take away resources from those systems i'm sure you know if uh, a classic example is just that the musculature that we have on our body if i decided to just lie in bed for a week and not get up the muscle in my leg would de- would decrease by the end of the week maybe not by not by loads but you know it's um it's just a signifier of the fact that our body needs this movement as a uh, as a normal part of life um but also you know interweaving in, into some of the other polarities um i think the you know a lot of these things are are synchronous so the the rest that you're taking in terms of your sort of calmness and arousal maybe you're meditating or maybe you're sitting and and reading that's also a nice chance for your body to be still and uh, take the rest that it needs from that movement because as you were saying the uh the body when it's moving um in more strenuous ways it's uh entering that sympathetic nervous system um so i think there's a fantastic way that the polarities can interplay and we can use we can leverage multiple levels of the polarities absolutely yeah yeah so you can double up on all, you don't have to think, oh God, there's these six polarities after touching with 12 different things each day. Some of them do go hand in hand, like you say. So mm. um, the stillness and maybe even the fasting and the darkness can, can go together. So you're, um, you know, you're, you're winding down in the evening. I'm going to stop, stop work, um, do something more slow and mindful movement like Tai Chi or, or yoga um on an empty stomach and then you you know you've you've covered all those three of those bases in in one yeah so um so absolutely 
Brilliant. Well, well, moving on to uh, the fifth, which is connection and independence. Um, you know, it's it's a really uh, interesting one to put in there because I, I see the connection element of it. You know, there's a really important part of human life is being connected to other people. But I think there's also a massive element about being connected to ourselves. And I'm really glad that you put the connection into in, uh, independence um uh, part in there because I think it's so valuable for people to hear mm. yeah that's it so um, you're quite right that connection to ourself is important as as well as connecting to other humans because um, we can become disconnected from ourselves and uh, and we can become disconnected from other people and sometimes you know people get so disconnected they can feel disconnected from from everything and that's a really uh, terrible place to be so you know just to put that into into context or to give some examples someone might be at a party with you know lots of people around them but they feel lonely or they feel disconnected from the people around them so it's not necessarily just about having people around you or not uh, there are other people, other times, other people in um, maybe you're, you yourself, you're, you're quite happy with your solitude, um, but you feel connected to yourself or you feel connected to uh, the, the activity you're doing at the time or connected to, to nature or connected to your pet, um, stroking your pet or, or, or whatever. So really a sense of connection is, is, um, linked to this, it's kind of linked to the arousal, calmness, polarity in the set. In in really, what we're wanting is our body to feel safe mm. when we're uh, connected. And if we feel safe around other people, or safe on our own, or safe when we're in nature, or safe with our pets, then we'll feel this sense of connection. And it's when all the the uh, the the um, barriers come down, the feel good feel good chemicals. Uh, are released in our body and the body can enter this repair state as well. So, um, and it's really, a, it's a signal to the, for the body that everything's okay. We're doing okay. Um, the world is a safe place. It's safe to be alive. It's, um, it's uh, safe for your body to, to heal and to grow. Mm. Being, but, but going back to the whole idea of as being social beings, that's how we regulated ourselves throughout, throughout history, wasn't it? You know, it's through this pack or this tribe mentality and it was that glue that held us together. We, we survived better in, um, in a group. We were able to achieve more uh, than we could on our own. And the way that we regulated that is through this sense of safety um, and connection. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's what that's what that polarity is about. I think there's uh, a really critical thing to emphasize as well. When you are uh, taking your independent time, I think you know it'd be really easy to take your independent time and not really be independent because you know we're going to talk about um, the technology and nature aspect of the polarities, but you know a lot of people will spend time on their own. Um, which is actually a really valuable chance for reflection, you know, thinking about your life and coming into a state of, of stillness, working with a lot of those other polarities. Um, but we'll just 
flick through Facebook and Instagram um, and maybe start to be uh, excited and triggered by a lot of these things that we're experiencing through mm-hmm. the through the phone. That's it. Yeah, that's a really good point. So they might be, as you said, they might be in uh, away from other people, but they might be consciously or unconsciously reaching for a connection with other other people or reaching for uh, a connection to or reaching for arousal or stimulation. Mm. So it may be it may not be, um, uh, you know, independence in that in that sense. Yeah. Um, and it's bringing bringing awareness to that. So again, you know, maybe there's no there's no absolute right or wrong in any of these, but it's just having a curiosity of how we're reacting in any any particular time or state and what what that does to our body, how it makes us feel. So some people might think that they need the social media all the time or need, you know, their work all the time. But is is it is it really creating a sense of safety and calm or is it is it stressing me out on some level mm. um and i you know i I, uh, I love my work but i know if i work too much then i get i can get worked up and stressed stressed about it and that's not good for my health so there's a fine line between having a sense of purpose and achievement and, and accomplishment and um overwhelm and or uh addiction to something yeah and i think the the connection independence um polarity really is something that people have to experiment with themselves and have a good connection to themselves to be able to establish because there is a big variety of sort of set points that we have individually about how much social interaction we need Mm. um and a nice way is really just being mindful of how things are making you feel at that time um rather than just sort of mindlessly going through with whatever you've whatever you've got planned like sometimes you may have set something up with uh, a friend and you're you've been looking forward to it for ages and then on the day um you find that you just really need your your own space you just get this feeling through and you're you're feeling that resistance to this thing coming Mm -hmm. up and actually, it can be detrimental to the friendship if you go along to that that meeting um, and sort of carry that with you, um, that feeling of, ah, actually, I'd rather, I really wanted this time for, for myself. Um, so it's really about being able to listen to your internal voice and mm-hmm. um, see what's best for you. Um, and, you know, we can recommend uh, that, you know, connecting with that inner voice but it's down to each individual person to be able to listen to it um and so i think this is interplays really nicely with the nature and technology um element of your plan um because that is a, a balance point which also interacts i think with so many of these others absolutely yeah um so nature and technology I really struggled when I to to kind of uh, decide on whether to call that a polarity or not because you know there is like this whole argument that everything is natural because it's from planet Earth even our technology is is natural and um, technology is uh, you know so many things are technologies that might not necessarily be like the obvious 
machines and electrical devices. So, so I just want to say that it's there. There, there are two words I've chosen that really, um, you know, they're the best. They're, they're the best thing I could, best words I could choose to to say what I wanted to say. And really, what it's about is um, the effect it's having on our well-being. So. Um, in the book, I t when I come to comes to technology, I talk a lot about electromagnetic fields, and I kind of um, explain how our modern modern technology is interacting with our biology, with the surface of our cells, with our biological processes, and that this is actually creating a stressed state for our body. Um, in a similar way that we talked about, the light, you know, artificial light influences our body clock, but electromagnetic fields given off by modern day electrical devices can open up channels in the surface of our cells and cause um, electrolytes to flow flow in or out of, of the cell. So I don't want to get too, too technical here, but um, if anyone has ever had an electrolyte drink, and that might be a sports recovery drink, or it might be the kind of salt you have um, after a bout of diarrhea uh, to replace your electrolytes. Really what you're taking into your body are the, um, the ions that the charged molecules that your body needs to create uh, a kind of battery that charges, that, that powers biological processes. So every, um, every, process in our body or most processes in our body require some kind of energy currency called ATP to to operate so it stands for adenosine triphosphate and this it's this triphosphate this phosphate group this charged phosphate that um, allows us to uh, carry out um, energy intensive processes so the way that we generate ATP is through a movement of electrons and uh, protons in the surface of something called mitochondria. Now, it's uh, the the there's a the mitochondria like these little bacteria-like organisms that decided to live that we cooperated with uh, billions of years ago, and they. Um, they help us liberate energy from food. They help us generate ATP, and this powers our uh, powers our living processes. So, really, the point I'm trying to get across is um, for us to keep our batteries charged, our cellular batteries charged, and to keep energy for for carrying on living, we need to have these electrolytes in the right place and at the right time to separate charge in the same way that a nickel cadmium battery has to separate charge so that it um, has the voltage to drive electrons through a circuit to power a light bulb or whatever the, the battery is doing. Our body needs these electrolytes in the right places to, um, to run life. Now, what, can, what happens is that when um, our, our cells are sensitive to electromagnetic fields, and there's electromagnetic fields all, the right, all around us, sunlight is, is, a, is on the electromagnetic spectrum, the earth has uh, its own electromagnetic fields, <clears throat> humans give off electromagnetic fields, 
But when we have a certain types of electromagnetic magnetic fields from devices, um, Wi-Fi routers, uh, electrical cables running through our house, it's been shown that these cause the ion channels in our cells to open and allow um, charged electrolytes to flow in and out of the cell. And what that does is it depolarizes the cell. So it's like draining the, the charge out of a battery. Um, and it can also create a kind of chaotic state inside the cell, which then leads to inflammation. Hmm. Um, and too much inflammation for too long is uh, is not a good thing. And this is what is it's at the root of lots of chronic inflammatory diseases. So, so really, you know, that I don't want to kind of be alarmist about this because I think our bodies are tough and resilient. But I think that there's a lot of evidence to show that the um, our exposure to man-made electromagnetic fields and technology does have an effect on our biology. How dangerous it might be, I don't think there's a universal agreement on that yet. There's lots of people saying that it is damaging our health. So I think before there's a consensus formed around this, and before we've got kind of absolute proof, we can take the precautionary principle and take a break from technology every so often, just to a, in the same way as you know, taking a break from too much arousal, too much light, too much food and feasting, too much exercise. We just take a break from technology and allow our bodies to rest from it and um, recover and recharge. Yeah, absolutely. And the other end of that polarity being nature, I think, is so valuable because it's such a uh, you know, obviously, you know, just spending time away from the technology allows you to be in a more natural state personally. But if you actually use that time uh, to spend time in nature, uh, there's so many mechanisms there um, that are going to be able to um, put your body into a more restful mm. state. And say you have a, a higher level of inflammation because of lifestyle factors, maybe you're getting stressed by looking at social media and emails and that's causing inflammation in your body. Spending time in nature and rebalancing that relationship with technology is going to be able to uh, put your mental health in a better place and, and calm that nervous system and hopefully bring down inflammation as well. It's a really powerful thing to be able to do in your life. Absolutely. And, you know, the science um, is backing that up more and more. So there's some interesting studies um, that looked at the if you go for a walk in the woods, for example, the fragrances and the essential oils that are given off by trees do, um, you know, as we breathe them in, they modulate our, our immune system and our nervous system so they can have a calming effect. Mm. Uh, uh, on and a beneficial health health giving effect same with the, the bacteria and soil so if you're out gardening or if you're playing around in in the woods then there's certain bacteria in the soils that modulate our um our immune system again and make us healthier and more resilient so i think we're you know we we've come from an environment where there's lots of trees and plants and wildlife and the sounds of nature and the smells of nature um, and that, you know, we, we've, we've lived side by side to those for so, so long. They're kind of like 
you know, that those social interaction we talked about, human social interaction, but we've we've had this interplay of signals with from from nature for so long. Um, but when we when we step away from that completely uh, for too long, then you know, then we're missing out on something. I mm. I feel, uh, and I think there's science to back that up. Yeah, and the yeah, it's really interesting that a lot of the things that we're discovering discovering scientifically now we're proving through the scientific method um, or learning more about these are mechanisms that we have culturally known have been good for us maybe not in a scientific sense but we've valued them in terms of well-being um, for for a long time um, like having a varied diet and feasting and fasting and lots of these different elements um, about living naturally we know that living as naturally as possible is um, going to benefit uh, the way that our body can operate. And it's really great to see that science is coming to back this up now. Um, but I think it's also mm -hmm. important not to rely on needing to see, uh, you know, scientific evidence is extremely important in, in increasing our understanding of the human body, but also trust in your own instincts and the instincts of nature because the complexities that exist in those systems in the natural world and in our bodies are a lot deeper than we understand currently the whole reason why science mm -hmm. is progressing is because we are expanding our knowledge into those areas and a lot of the time uh we're actually wrong like science is is essentially a, a trial and error test extended over time um, and we learn from the patterns that we are recognizing but also you can recognize your own patterns and be your own health scientist in a way definitely and you know it's it's uh no coincidence i don't think that um that most people you know when they're looking for their holiday choice that you know that special few weeks of the year when they want to go on holiday they'll go to some beautiful location they might want to be uh on the beach or uh, with a, somewhere with a you know a beautiful a, a view, or go into the more into the countryside, because I think intuitively people know that that's going to be a place where they can they can they can recharge and um, get the best antidote for for the way that they've become depleted through you know too much exposure to all of these other ends of the polarity we've we've talked about. You know, we're making that space for, let's say, when we go on holiday to have that calmness, stillness and connection with nature. Um, but actually, I think the most valuable thing we can do is is get to a stage where we don't need the holiday in a sense that mm -hmm. in, in my everyday life, I'm being able to connect to nature with those small touch points. It could even be walking down the street. You know, if I live in the middle of London, there's, you know, the lovely parks there, but maybe I don't go past any parks on my way to work, I can still notice the trees. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of research um, into, or there's starting to be more research into fractals and just looking at nature is a powerful thing for our eyes to see. It's got a calming mechanism. Mm -hmm. So to be able to start observing these things, even in your day-to-day -day life, you don't even need to maybe change any of the big behaviors just to notice different things. Um, that can have a, a big impact on our sense of balance and our connected our connectedness to nature. 
Wow, yeah, please do. Um, if you've got any information about the, the fractal, research on fractals, please do send it to me. Um, and that, you know, and then, uh, so really, really good points about noticing, because uh, nature is around us where, you know, my my house, it might feel like I'm built in a big city, in a, in a city, but actually the ground I'm on is the same, the same earth and the same planet as, you know, the, the uh, forests of the Amazon. So there's the potential for, for nature and wildlife everywhere and we can bring some of it into our living living environments as well i'm a, a big fan of house plants so that you know if if uh, as you say there's perhaps uh, some research saying that looking at observing the the fractal patterns and the the geometry of leaves and plants uh, has a calming effect then um, we can bring that into our house through um, house plants and um, which you know uh, make the make the room look good and also several house plants um, several types of house plants are supposed to be particularly good at absorbing um, harmful harmful chemicals and cleaning up the air in in our living spaces as well so yeah um, you know times of the year when we can't have the windows open to get a you know quite a, as, as much of a air circulation as we can at other times of the year when we need to be you know a little bit careful about keeping heat in the house so having plants around then can be beneficial in lots of ways absolutely well we've covered so much in the the conversation Ian. i think the the model that you've been able to put out there you know it's really hard to describe a lot of the mechanisms that are impacting us uh through just like the you know the english language or normal language but i think you've been able to summarize mm -hmm. it really well um with your six uh, paradigm model and or six polarity model sorry and um mm -hmm. i think it's a perfect place for people to be able to start uh taking a new perspective in life and start noticing you know how they're feeling on a day-to-day -day basis and if they are feeling in balance with these different polarities um, there's so much more we could talk about because you, your wealth of knowledge is incredible <laughs> and there's a lot more in your book which is utterly fascinating we'll have to book in another conversation to get onto all this stuff um, but before I ask my last question of the interviewer I was wondering if you could tell people if they are interested inspired um, with your work where they could connect with you uh, and maybe get hold of your book as well Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so the, my website is restoringbalance.life. So that's restoring balance is spelt as all one word and then dot L I F E for life. So, um, that's the, the way to, uh, access some free chapters from my book. You can download those just with your name and email address. Um, that's the best place. That's the best place to go. You can also buy the book off Amazon. Um, <clears throat> and I've got a Facebook page, but, uh, restoringbalance.life brilliant and you know I would love to speak again and I think your you know the wisdom you've got and the breadth of knowledge you've got is uh, is quite special so so yeah please do let's let's speak again sometime and we can explore some of these topics even more deeply as well because you can go quite uh, uh, in depth in any one of these topics absolutely the absolutely there's there's so much you know the interplay of personal experience scientific research is is really, really 
um, exciting because it gives us so, so uh, like I was just thinking through the conversation, the depth of knowledge we have now with um, the evolution of science, you know, how we are understanding what's going on on a cellular level is really exciting and it's helping us un to understand uh, as an informative tool, you know, how we can live our lives in, in a better way. Um, mm. So as, as my last question of the conversation, if <laughs> it may be a tricky thing to do, but if you were to just recommend, uh, or if, if you had a magic wand and you were going to cast a spell on the world and they were going to have to do one habit a day, um, not necessarily a health habit, um, but just one habit a day uh, to make their life better, uh, what spell would you cast on everybody? <laughs> um, so I think you actually said this a few minutes ago. It's to to ask ourselves often, how do I how do I feel like right now, with a kind of open and non judgmental um, point of view. So when I say open and non judgmental, so we're not cursing ourselves if we if we don't feel great. We're not um, blaming someone else around us if we're feeling a little bit rotten, but it's just noticing how do I feel right now? Where do I feel it in my body? Is it in my stomach? Uh, do I feel a tightness in my stomach? Do I feel a, a numbness around my um, chest area? Do, does my, do I feel excess pressure in my head? So just to become aware of those um, <clears throat> subtle sensations before like we said at the start of this talk before they become painful and before they uh before they turn into something else or before we have a big you know outburst of emotion um which which happens sometime but just to kind of yeah um tune into how we feel and to build that sensitivity <clears throat> because then hopefully we'll find that that can, when we're doing something like fasting or doing different types of exercise movements or, or uh, exposing ourselves to different types of light, we'll be able to say, we'll then be able to say, okay, so um, I feel this way now. And then when I'm doing this other intervention, this other health intervention, how is that affecting me on a subtle level? Hmm. And then, as you said, we can become our own health scientist where, you know, we're, we're measuring um, against how we feel and it's and I'd just like to say it's not an easy thing to do overnight because there's often so many different factors coming in that we're not even aware of you know fluctuations in temperature air pressure even solar flare activity has been shown to affect our heart rate variability so we can't we can never totally know what's causing all these things but it's a good starting point to, to look for patterns and trends and to know ourselves better. Yeah. So yeah, that would be my question to ask as many times throughout the day, how do I feel right now in my body? I think that's so valuable. And even if, you know, you were saying about the solar flare, even if it's an environmental factor that maybe we can't influence in that time, just recognizing how you feel, how your body feels can really make a big difference in, you know, if it's something negative, just it, it does, my, my ease ever so slightly just by noticing it and i think that's a lovely thing to uh, leave people with great yep <clears throat> absolutely it can ease just by noticing yeah well ian thank you so much for taking the time for the conversation today you've imparted a huge amount of value for everybody out there um so yeah thank you so much for coming on 
Thanks, Tom. And it was a pleasure. And you added value, you know, so it was a great, great conversation. Really loved it. Thank you. Well, everybody out there, please do check out the Restoring Balance website. Um, at least download the free sample and have a look through the book because it is a, a fantastic guide for people. Um, and it, it really is a, a great summary of a, uh, so many different elements of health that can be so confusing. And I think one of the most powerful messages that I have learned from the book and your work is that we have the power to change our health outcomes. You know, things aren't set in stone and we can make an awful lot of difference um, through the way that we're living our life. And that's through our day-to-day -day choices. So, uh, yeah, I think that's something to, to leave the listeners with to think about. Um, thank you again, Ian, and to everybody out there who's been listening. Please do, if you've liked the conversation, share it with people who would be interested. Um, please follow us to hear uh, more conversations like this in the future. And I hope you are all going to keep well. Stay true, everybody.